If you would go ahead and turn back to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews was written to us and to the Lord's people in his day. Paul was writing to them by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They were going through trials. Those workmongers, those people who tried, thought they kept the law, were trying to turn them away back to the law, back to Judaism, back to holy days and feast days and new moons and days and those things. And they were being afflicted. But I want us to look at today, let me find my verse, verse 11, I mean verse 10. We have an altar. They didn't have one. They claimed to have. They pretended to have. They had something that they would call an altar. We have an altar. Whereof they have no right to eat which serves the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, that blood was sprinkled upon the altar that we just spoke of. He was brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin. The body of those sacrifices are burned without the camp. Wherefore, because of that, because of those were pictures and types, what did that set forth taking that animal? His blood had been shed. His blood had made an atonement for sin in the sanctuary. What were they to do with that animal? They were to take it outside of the city, outside the camp, and they were to burn it, totally consume it with fire. And when they got done, there would be nothing left. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. So you see the picture. He just explained to them what all that meant. They're going through their motions. They're playing their religion. They have their sacrifices. They have their blood. They have their days. They have all these things. And it's nothing but a ritual. But Jesus suffered why? To sanctify his people how? With his own blood. And he did it without the gate, without the camp. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Why are we going outside the camp? Because that's where he's at. Let us go forth, not just let us go forth outside the camp. We're going to see a lot of people do that. But why do we go outside the camp? Because that's where he is. Let us go forth unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Who are you going to be identified with? You're going to be identified with that dead religion inside that city or you're going to leave that city and go out the city where he 
is that. As I thought about the message, I couldn't help but think about David as an illustration. David had fled from King Saul. King Saul hated David. even turned his own son Jonathan against David. And David had to flee. And he was in a place called the Cave of Dullam, hiding in a cave. You imagine living in a cave. Now, this is the man who's going to sit upon the throne one day. And everybody that was discomforted, everybody that was distressed, you know what they did? They left under the reign of King Saul, and they went and lived in a cave with David. You know why they went to that cave? Not just because it was a cave, because that's where David was at. 600 men. You're either under the reign of Saul or you're under the reign of Christ. And they went forth unto him. The first thing we see, we do have an altar. Without an altar, there's no worshiping God. Listen, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 25, if thou make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. For if you lift your tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. If we was to build, build an altar out of stone, we'd go out there and here's how, the, here how we found the stone. I'm not going to lay a hammer or a chisel to try to chisel it off to make it, make it appear to me that it's a little more pretty or something. No, he said, if you touch it, now listen, if you touch it, you've polluted it. If you touch it, you've defiled it. If it's something you've made, you've polluted it and you've defiled it. Christ is not touched by human hands. He was not made by human hands. He was the product of God's grace and mercy and the Holy Spirit of God. He is our altar. All these altars in the Old Testament, all of them pointed to Christ. Abraham had an altar, remember? And then when he back, went back to Egypt and he came, you know where he came back to? Right to his altar. An altar. A place to offer the sacrifice. A place where the blood is spilled. A place of reconciliation. All the altars, now they all pointed to Christ. Now don't you say that, don't you get this. Most people would say we're going to look at going outside the camp where Christ is. And they said, well, outside the camp, Jesus was hanging on the cross. So I guess the cross is an altar. The cross is no altar. It was the place of sacrifice, but it was no altar. We're not worshiping a cross. We're worshiping a person. But a lot of people look at that. They say, well, I want, I want to actually go to the Holy Lands. I want, I want to go over where Jesus actually he died. I, the, the, surely there's something holy about it. No, there's not. I read from Don the other day. He said there would be no difference. You know, people like to wear a cross around their neck and different things. He said it would be no different than me hanging a dagger on my side. Now, that dagger was used to stab my wife, and I'm going to wear it on my belt. There's no different. It was just a means by which God used to punish his son. So the cross is no altar, and this right up here is no altar. We don't have any mourner's bench. You see, why do you say that most people believe if you're going to get saved, you've got to come to the altar? They invite you to come to the altar, and at the end of a preaching service, what we're going to do, we're going to get Sandy or Linda to come, and we're going to sing about ten verses of Just As I Am, 
and try to persuade you to come to the front of a church, to an altar. We have an altar, and they have no right to approach that altar. This is not holy. But most people think it is. Why? They've been told that it is. That if you come up here, then you can be accepted of God and be received. He didn't say come up here unto the altar to where Christ was at. Where's he at? He's outside the city. And I can tell you anywhere those people say that this is an altar, he's not there. He's outside the camp. <clears throat> Hope you'll read the article there in, in the bulletin by uh, Clay Curtis. Talking about, uh, he said, sheep don't sit under a false gospel. He brings them out. He said, it's just the opposite. The enemy sows tares among the wheat, and the wolf tries to, to come in where the sheep are, but the sheep don't try to sneak in where the goats are. That's the difference. We have an altar. I am so thankful this morning that we have an altar. You imagine if you didn't have an altar, didn't have no, could not worship God, but we can. The sacrifice, the substitute was offered and burned upon the altar. Christ is our altar, our priest in our sacrifice. And we have a right to come to the altar, to come. Those who seek salvation and acceptance with God by their works have no right to this altar. No right. But believers have every right to come. Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy to find grace to help in time of need. Where does it say that? In this same book, in the book of Hebrews. We have a high priest over the house of God. He's the, 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 the one of the everlasting covenant. He's the only God, altar that God owns and the only one which must be recognized by us. I remember... When we were in the city, the city, I think, is a city, a place of a lot of people, a lot of commerce, a lot of, everybody's in the city. Everybody, everybody wants to live in the city, don't they? In the city. And the city was the place where we were deceived. I remember when I was about 11 or 12 years old, you probably heard me tell the story. They, they, they put a play on, I dreamed I searched heaven for you and you wasn't there. And you imagine a little 11, 10, 11, 12 child, and they got a man dressed up like the devil. And he's coming down, walking down the aisle, and he's grabbing little children by the arm. I'm coming to get you. I'm coming to get you. Scared the devil out of me. And they get me up to the front of the church, and, you know, you're terrified. You'll do what anything anybody tells you to do. They said, are you lost? Mm-hmm. You don't get saved? Mm-hmm. Well, won't you, just, won't you just repeat this prayer? And the man re said a prayer, and I repeat it. And he said, did you say a prayer? I went, mm-hmm. You believe you're saved? Mm-hmm. Wasn't no more saved than a goat. But I thought it was. And the whole altar was, the whole front of the church was filled with people. You give people a false hope. And that's what's in, that's what's in the city. 
It's nothing but playing religion. Don't ever teach our children to play religion. If you do, they'll play it right into hell. We're not, we're not here playing games. This is serious. But thank God we have an altar. The world has no altar. They pretend to have one. It's just like Franklin Graham following right in his father's footsteps, riding right on his coattails. You know, if, if you watch TV much, you see him. He comes on and he says, I want you to repeat this little prayer right after me. And if you've repeated this prayer, I want you to call us and let us know. Salvation is by grace through faith, and it's not of yourself. It's the gift of God. And Christ is our altar. And if you don't come to him, you'll perish. Means I want me another altar. That one won't do. What this sacrifice is, this is the sin offering. The price must be paid. The debt has to be paid for someone. Someone must die in someone's place. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 27, and the bullock for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, this is a sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall one carry forth without the camp, and they shall burn the fire, they shall burn in the fire the skin, the flesh, the dung, and he that burneth them shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water, and afterward he shall come back into the camp. And Christ suffered. Our Lord suffered. The sacrifice outside the camp. What was outside the camp? Why is that so significant? You know who lived outside the camp? It was a place where lepers lived. You know why they lived outside the camp? They were unclean. You know, a lot of times we just read over that, and you know what? By nature, we're spiritual lepers. Everything we touch, we defile it. Everything we sit on, we defile it. Everything. And they had to stand with their hand over their mouth, wear a mask or whatever, and cry, unclean, unclean. That's outside the camp. Anybody want to go outside the camp? Oh, I don't want to go out with them filthy, vile lepers. That's where they were. <laughs> Leviticus thirteen forty six. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. Now, I want you to see this. I never saw it till I'm reading it right now. He shall dwell alone. You know, it's bad enough to be a leper and unclean, but to dwell alone. Alone. Can't go into the city because I'm unclean. Can't come to God because I'm vile and filthy. He shall dwell alone without the camp shall be shall his habitation be. Also outside the, clan, the, the camp was where criminals were condemned and slain. In Leviticus 24, 14, bring forth him that hath, that hath cursed without the camp and let all that heard him lay their hands upon his head and let all the congregation stone him. And you remember when they stoned Stephen? And when they did, they took him outside the city. 
they probably thought, you know, well, we're not going to defile our city, so we're going to take him outside the city, and we're going to murder him. We're going to stun. We're going to condemn him to death. That's who's outside the camp. It is the place where everything that was defiled, everything that was filthy, was outside the camp. We don't want it in the city. We're going to take it outside the camp. In Numbers chapter 5, verse 1, now listen. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper and every one that hath an issue and whosoever is defiled by the dead. Both male and female shall be put out. Without the camp shall he be put out that they defile not their camps in the midst whereof I dwell. And the children of Israel did so and put them out without the camp. So the Lord spoke to Moses, so did the children of Israel. They were instructed under the law to take it without the camp. If you touched a dead body, you were defiled. You had to go outside the camp. And listen to this one. It was the place where the filth was deposited. You notice when I read there it said the flesh, the skin, the dung of the sin offering were unclean before God and had to be carried and disposed of without the camp. Jim knows something about this. If he kills a deer, he's going to skin it. And unless he wants something to do with that hide, he's just going to throw it away. He's got to get rid of it somewhere. It and all of its insides, he's going to take it out, but he's got to do something with it. I guarantee he didn't leave it in a a bucket sitting out there on the carport. If he did, Linda wouldn't put up with that for a few minutes because that's you see the picture. That's got to go, but what did they do? They had to take all this stuff outside the camp and dispose of it. Now listen. Deuteronomy 23, 12, thou shalt have a place, a place, a designated place also without the camp, whether thou shalt go forth abroad and thou shalt have a paddle upon thy weapon and it shall be when thou wilt ease thyself abroad that thou shalt dig therewith and thou shalt turn back and cover, cover that which cometh of thee For the Lord thy God walketh in the midst of thy camp to deliver thee and to give up thine enemies before thee. Therefore shall the camp be holy, that he see no unclean thing in thee or turn away from thee. Everything that was unclean had to go. But the main thing is, it is the place. Now you think about all that that's outside the camp. It is the place where the Son of God gave his life as a sacrifice for many and was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, we just, I'm just speculating, but you know, they were probably some that didn't want to go to Mount Calvary that day, Golgotha, the place of the skull, when our Lord was sacrificed. But, you know, I could probably see some of the lepers coming along. They were, he, he came to where they were at. Do you know, if, you know if a leper touched you or breathed on you, you were unclean? Under the law. 
And you know what? Our Lord touched them. You mean he's coming out here? You know, what does that mean? He's identifying with them. He's, he's identifying with everything that's unclean. But you said he's so holy, he's so clean, he's so righteous, he never sinned. Bearing his, in our sins in his own body, he must die without the camp. He went out there to identify with vile lepers. We are all as an unclean And why did he suffer outside the gate? To sanctify his people. What does it mean to sanctify? Well, it means, it has several meanings. Well, it means to set apart. And it also means that which is set apart, when it's set apart, it's declared holy. Remember the Sabbath day and to, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You know why God set it apart? You know what he did to his people when he chose them before the foundation of the world? They were sanctified. They were set apart, declared to be holy. And he said, for this, for their sake, I sanctify myself. I set myself apart to sanctify them, to make his people, his chosen people, holy. Holy. He suffered the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Okay, he suffered. I've showed you what was outside the camp. I showed you where he went. So what are we to do? I've told you where he's at. Sandy told me she was teaching some in her, in her Bible lesson about seeking the Lord. Well, you know where you seek the Lord? Where you'll find him. Now he's not in the camp. At one time he was in the camp. Inside the camp was the, we first had the tabernacle. That was the camp. Then you had the temple. That was the camp. But now he's departed from the camp and he's left it. Now he's outside the camp. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Then they took Jesus, John 19, and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth out of Jerusalem unto the place called a place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him. And two thieves with him. Christ our Lord, going forth out of Jerusalem, signified the end of the church state of the Jews, you know what he said when he left? I leave your house desolate. Desolate. They, they went on playing religion for another 40 years. Went on playing with the temple, pretending that Jesus had never come. Doesn't that sound familiar? People are just pretending. But she finally fell. A lot of people take great pride in being without the camp. It's not just going outside the camp. It's not just being separated. It's going unto him who is without the camp. Some people seem to think that godliness and gossip 
Holiness and holiness, separation and isolation are all synonyms. They think that meekness and meanness is the same thing. We must be found outside the camp, but we must be outside the camp with Christ. A lot of people, you know, they want to go in a monastery or they want to go somewhere. Oh, I'm separated from them. Oh, don't, don't. Let me tell you a little story. When Caitlin, you know, she was my youngest daughter. She was, she was very young, two or three years old. And I remember there was some little girl. She, she was several years old. She thought, boy, she thought she was it. She thought she was so religious. And, and Caitlin, you know, just a little child, just touched her. You know what that girl said? Don't touch me. Don't touch me. There's a lot of people in the religion like that. Don't touch me. If you touch me, you'll defile me. So they separate from you. I wouldn't have nothing to do with you. Our Lord, our Lord ate with publicans and sinners. Our Lord allowed lepers to touch him, and he was not defiled. But they think it's going to. See, it's not just going outside the camp. He said, I don't, he said, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but I pray that you keep them from the evil one. He sent us into the world. Where are we going to go? We're going to go out there where the lepers are. They're not coming into the camp. There's nothing there in the camp. You know why I know? Because Christ left it. There's nothing there. In the camp, our Lord was rejected and despised. You know what the camp is? You remember this. What is the camp? It is the place that is abandoned by God. And there's a lot of them. Oh, I pray God never abandons us. And you know, this is just our reasonable response, if that's where he's at. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Just for instance, say you were raised an Orthodox Jew. That's all you were taught. You were taught to do your whatever rituals and days and months and eat certain things and not eat certain things. You couldn't eat pork. You would be defiled and all those different things. And God opened your eyes and set you free. You'd have to say, Mom and Daddy, I'll see you. Say, where are you going? I'm going outside the camp. I played this religion all my life. Now, let me tell you, I played it a long time. I claimed to be saved. I claimed to be a preacher with the preacher school and all, all that mess and never knew God. But when God opened my eyes, I saw that there was nothing there in that camp. I remember the first time I ever heard an Armenian say, I didn't know what he was talking about. He mentioned limited atonement. Remember the first time I heard the word irresistible grace? I said, I've never heard that, but that's exactly what it is. If they left Judaism, I've heard them say they would account that person as dead. They may even have a, a, a pretense of a funeral, may have a casket, and take it out somewhere and bury it, and they're going to say, our son or our daughter is dead to us. Dead. It's 
Since the Lord Jesus so willingly bore our reproach and suffered the wrath of God, let us go forth unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. If you identify with him, they will hate you as much as they hated him. That's not changed. Though the offense of the cross is ever increasing, let us never flinch to bear the offense of Christ and his gospel. Is, listen, is anything too much to suffer for Christ? I was going to read that, the first song we sung, that one verse. He said if I, something about if I owned the whole world. If I had the whole world and could give the whole world, it's a gift too small. Why did he do that? Why did he go outside the city? Why did he identify with lepers? Why did he identify with sinners? He came to save sinners. They can have their religion. There's no hope. There's no life. There's no peace. There's no joy. Is any devotion to the Son of God too extreme? I love that there when Paul was getting ready to leave the Ephesian elders there, and I think it's uh, Acts 20. He said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And he said, I don't know what's going to happen to me when I go to Jerusalem. You know where he's going? He's going to the camp. He's going to that where he's rejected him, but he's, he's going to Jerusalem because there is a little band of believers that believe there in Jerusalem. And he said, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know if I'll make it out of there alive. But none of that doesn't move me. I'm not affected by, you know why? Because he said, I don't count my life dear unto myself. And he meant it. You know, he told Timothy, he said, I endure all things for the elect's sake. To go forth unto Christ without the camp means for the believer to make a complete break from his former matter of life, to renounce everything which is opposed to Christ, relinquish everything that would hinder communion with Christ. You know what our Lord said one thing? And he's still saying it today. If any man, woman, boy, or girl will come after me. Would you come after Christ? Would you, would, you follow, would you follow him? One man came to our Lord one day and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And our Lord said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, and I don't have a place to lay my head. You still want to follow me? You still want to follow me? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow after me. Sin must be mortified. The flesh with its affections and lust must be crucified. The world forsaken. Going forth to him without the camp is not a single one-time thing. It's not just one time done at conversion. It's a habitual thing. It is a constant attitude of life. 
You know what he said? Take your cross daily. For we here have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, by Christ, let's offer the sacrifices of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. I'm so unthankful. I'm just trying to be honest, so ungrateful. The Lord reminds us of what he's done. We're so prone to draw back. Our hearts so prone to wonder, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. God enable us to follow him no matter what. God enable us to forsake whatever, whatever it may be. To follow him. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing bearing his reproach. I could see, like I mentioned, those David in that cave, and those men that are with him. I could see their family says, What are you what are you doing down there living in that cave with, with David? He's he's nothing and nobody. Why don't you come on up here and live with the king, the one that's on the throne? Because his days are numbered and David's king. And we're going to identify with him no matter where he's at. Because he's king. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Back in chapter 12, verse 3. Now you consider him. Would you consider him? Him that endured such a contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. Consider him. That's what I want to leave you with. Consider him. Consider him that's outside the gate. The wrath of God poured out upon him, and he cried, It is finished it's done it's done if our Lord has given you faith to trust him and to follow him you identify with him identify with him that's what it is going outside the camp is how do I identify with him preacher if God's done a work in your heart you identify with him by baptism we follow him we identify with him. He died. He was buried. He rose again. Let me read you one more verse in closing. Luke six twenty two. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. Now, you know, nobody likes to be hated. Just to be honest, no one likes to be hated. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. And when they shall, they, they shall separate you from their company. And they shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil. And why would they do that? Because they hate the Son of God for the Son of Man's sake. Because he was cast out 
and rejected and suffered outside the camp. 